Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The pre-med year, session number 534. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to the Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. A few weeks ago, we had a guest who was very open and transparent about having autism on his application and how he ultimately found success. This week, we have a student with a physical disability talking about her transparency in her application and how that scared her, but ultimately, again, led to success. Before we jump into our discussion. Today, I want to remind you about Blueprint MCAT's amazing free account over at blueprintmcat.com. You get access to a half-length diagnostic, a free full-length exam, a study planner tool, and an amazing spaced repetition flashcard platform, among other things. Go check it out at blueprintmcat.com and make sure you use that study planner tool because you have to plan your work You have to space out all of that stuff that you're supposed to know for the MCAT for you to ultimately do well. Go check it out at blueprintmcat.com. Let's go and jump into our conversation today again with a student with a physical disability wondering if she made the right decision to be more transparent about her struggles and her her disability through the application process and ultimately what that looked like for her and her path to medicine. Kruti, welcome to the Pre-Mid Years Podcast. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm good. How are you? I'm wonderful. I, I want to start off not with the the very general question that I was at, always ask about when you first realized you wanted to be a physician, but I want to go back to a different question and ask you, now that you've gone through this process, what would you change for everyone else to make it easier? <laughs> let's, oh my God, let's, what would I let's go big picture here. <laughs> what would I change? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I feel like maybe this is like super cliche, but just the encouragement of just like, I don't know, being yourself, don't like fit like a mold. I feel like I spent so much time trying to 
follow this bucket list of pre-med things. And I don't know, I feel like in the beginning, I kind of missed out on a lot of things that I just wanted to do and just genuinely knew I wanted to do. And I feel like if you kind of just do what you like and do what you love, I think the passion for medicine will come out on its own. Nice. Yeah, I wish. I mean, that's that's something that I preach from the rooftops every day. It's just go be yourself. Stop, yeah. stop trying to check all the boxes. Yeah. Checking the boxes. It's easier said than done. Yeah, <laughs> e- easier, always. Checking the boxes for you, not as uh, easy because as, as we were talking about before hitting record, at the school that you went to for undergrad, all these pre-meds are out there being an EMT, but you couldn't. Talk about going through this process with a disability that you have uh, and we can, we can go, we don't need to go super specific into the disability, but there, there were limitations for you to be an EMT that all the other pre-meds are doing. Do you think that helped you at the end of the day, be who you just wanted to be because the, you didn't have to worry about checking those boxes. Yeah, exactly. I think um, and I can't speak for everyone that has like, because dif- disabilities are yeah. so varying, but in general for physical disabilities, I was very limited. I think there were a lot of, even like being an EMT was a big one. I mm-hmm. think we talked about it, like everyone was doing it and I felt very left out and very insecure, especially when I was a freshman. I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do to make these clinical hours? And even clinical experiences I was worried about, like I can't stand like in the ER doing like overnight shifts. Like it was just not something that was in the scope of my physical ability. So I kind of had to get creative with some of the clinical experiences I did. Um, I had to be experimental. And and obviously I was one of the classes that got hit by COVID. So that was a whole nother thing. But um, I think, yeah, you're right. It did take off a lot of pressure because ultimately I accepted, okay, you know what? I'm going to apply to medical school. I mean, I know that's what I want to do. I can't do these things that I'm supposed to be doing. So you know what? I'm just going to just do what I like. And hopefully someone sees that <laughs> I really want to be a doctor in yeah. the future. And um, luckily they, they did. And I do think that that helped me. I do think because I picked things that I really liked and that I could genuinely put my whole heart into and make an effort in. And I, so I do think that ended up coming through which I'm grateful for. Yeah. I I think it's easy to have that perspective on this side of it. As you mentioned, as a freshman, very insecure, (laughs) doubting what's going to happen here. How did you seek guidance in those moments where you're just starting to understand this process, learning about clinical experiences, learning about shadowing and all this stuff. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. Like I can't do that. And I can't do that. And maybe I could do that, but I'm not sure if that really counts. Like how are you both getting through from a mental health perspective of, of making sure that you're okay. Um, and also checking in with advisors and mentors and whoever to say, Hey, like, can I do this and, and get into med school? Yeah, it's really hard. I think, especially when you have a disability, there's so few people out there that even know of how to kind of deal with it. Like my advisors at my school are very good and they they worked really hard but it's hard because they don't know totally you know what admission committees are going to think of me and how I you know phrase myself and present myself they're like hey you know what just try your best like ultimately someone will maybe take you um if not we're here to support you even (laughs) if they don't take you so I think like general advising was like kind of a bust for me I I think I had to get creative Mm. 
it sucks, but the, the process of cold emailing is the savior. I mean, and everyone has to do it. So I think that kind of made me feel better. Okay. Everyone has to do cold emailing. Yeah. So that'll who, who are you emailing? Make me feel related. So I started kind of more with research because okay. I was like, okay, I don't think clinical is going to be the best way to go first. Um, because I just didn't think, first of all, I don't think people would pick me over groups of people when we would have um, clinical opportunities at our nearby hospitals. So I was like, okay, I think clinical is out. Let me start with research. And luckily we have um, a medical school at our undergrad university as well. So I was able to get a research position at the medical school. Um, and I was very lucky. I got it in uh, in a lab that was researching osteoporosis, which is very similar to, to the disease that I have. So it was something that I enjoyed, even though I didn't imagine myself starting with research or like even doing going down that path since I'd, I'd never really done anything like that. Mm. And then from there, I think once you get in front of somebody and once they get to know you and see you and you actually get like put more of a character or personality behind the disability, they start to trust you a little bit more. And then through that, I was able to get clinical opportunities as well. Um, And I was lucky also in the sense that in high school, uh, I was given, we had an internship program and we had nearby clinics. So during COVID, when I had come back home and was, and was working from home, I was able to go work in that clinic because they had already known me from high school. So I think my biggest thing was, let me kind of start small, but my, my end goal was I need to get in front of somebody because I need them to see me. They're not going to have faith in me unless I appear in front of them and, and show them like, yes, I'm limited, but I make up for it in other ways. And I will still work equally as hard or more just even though I can't move around as much. Yeah. Did you, once you were in the research environment, started getting clinical experience, what was the the hardest thing to be able to communicate, whether to patients, uh, to other providers, to to the nurses, whatever? What, what was the hardest part about that process? Uh, I mean, you, you just mentioned, right, just watch me do what I do, and then let's figure out potentially. But actually having that communication is hard for a lot of people. Um, I, I think it potentially is. with with your condition, right? Basically a lifelong condition, you've you've been dealing with this for a long time. Someone who maybe is in a car accident and is now paralyzed, that's a whole new ballgame for them. They're like, hey, I'm a sophomore in college, I want to be a doctor. I'm paralyzed and in a wheelchair now, but I still want to be a doctor. Um, what how how do those conversations go? Yeah, I think, first of all, it's it's hard. You do get that extra pressure. And I think that's why students with disabilities do get overwhelmed. It's like, why do I have to always explain and advocate for myself? And why do I have to be comfortable? Like, I'm not ready to accept that I'm disabled yet. Yeah. I don't want to have those conversations. Yeah. And that is honestly the hardest part of, of being disabled is ultimately to be able to get the opportunities that I got. I had to be comfortable with talking about and kind of advocating for myself. Um, and it's not an easy conversation to have. I think especially when you have initial meetings and say they're over Zoom, like right now I look completely normal. There's nothing wrong. But then as soon as I go in person, you know, I have a crutch, I have a limp. It's like, oh, wait, she's not what I saw on Zoom. She looked fine. Um, and it becomes this weird, like, they are like, oh, should I ask her? Like, what's wrong? Should I ask her if she needs help? Mm-hmm. Do I help her? I don't know. And it's, it's, that's another thing. Like a lot of people with disabilities, me and myself, I don't mind if people ask me, Hey, do you need help? 
but obviously I am on the line of like, if I do need help, I, I will ask for it. Mm. But yeah, it is a difficult conversation in the sense of like, I don't want people to be like overly accommodating because ultimately I don't want to be treated like, okay, I need to step around her. I need to make sure she's okay. Like at all times, like I have to make, she's made of glass, like something else will happen. Something else will break. No, like I, I will, if I need something, if I need help, I will come ask for it. Even if I look like I'm in pain, if I look like I'm struggling, I promise I'm not. If I really was in a position where it was really that bad, I will come tell you like, Hey, I need a chair. Or honestly, most of the times, like I'll just go do it myself. Like Mm -hmm. I'll go grab it myself. But that initial conversation is definitely, I think the most awkward and the most hardest part is like, how do I communicate to somebody? Hey, I'm good. I'm okay. But I do need help. Yeah. But not too much. So it's like, (laughs) what's, what's the best question that you've gotten from someone who's trying to understand who you are and what, what potentially your limitations are? Yeah, I've, um, there, there are two sides. I always get some funny ones. I, I used to work, I worked with pediatric patients a lot because I was a pediatric patient myself. Kids say um, the best things. <laughs> yeah, kids are hilarious. Um, we would go and like, I would go dress up as princesses and I go sing. And these kids, um, the, some of the slightly older kids, when you go dressed up as like Jasmine or something from Aladdin, they're like, well, Jasmine didn't have a crutch in the movie. So what happened there? I'm like, oh, you know what? I was, I was fighting yeah. some feet. Jasmine off fell her. off the magic carpet, kid. <laughs> yeah. It's like, listen, it's not canon, but it happens. Like, I, it's okay. Yeah. So the kid questions are always really fun to deal with. I think the adults, um, it's funny. It, it's funny because it depends on what field they're from. I've noticed mm. is the caliber of questions I get. If they are, you know, like my research uh, PI at the time when I first started working with her, she was very much on the scientific side of it. It's like, oh my God, like what is the molecular breakdown of what's going on in your <laughs> body? And like, can I see what an x-ray would look like? I want to see like all these cool things. And then like my professors would probably just say something as simple as like, do you need to sit in the front row? Like, or do you want to use the elevator to get down? So I think it's, it's really cool. And I think genuinely any question is valid. Like I won't say one question is better than the other because I do want to encourage transparency. So I always say, listen, no question is too stupid. The only stupid thing is if you just stare at me, (laughs) that'll make me feel really uncomfortable. My favorite is when they look down at my, at my legs because my shoe is uh, thicker than my other one. Mm -hmm. And so they'll be talking to me, but they're staring at the wedge on my shoe. So I'm like, you can just tell me, (laughs) you can just ask me why I have that. (laughs) Yes, definitely not an off the shelf um uh fancy shoe um it's 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 a nice lift i i I think there's a a tiktoker and i wonder and i'll ask this like social media has been able to expose the world to so much diversity that we don't normally see it's one of the the best things about social media and there is a tiktoker and i don't know what condition he has but he's got some form of of um dwarfism and he's got one really short leg and his the lift on his shoe is is substantial and like he's just out on tiktok with his million followers or whatever it is and i i wonder like do you see that as as a good thing like have you ever thought about how social media does expose more people to people with disabilities 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I've seen this TikToker too. Yeah. I saw him one time and I was like, oh my gosh, I think my friend sent it to me. But yeah, I think, I think social media comes with its cons, obviously. But I do think the, the, the transparency and the conversations that it started, especially for the disabled community, is great. Yeah. I think that way you can just start to see more people. You can start to see like the wide range of disabilities that are out there. They're like a bajillion. There's like no one that's the same as the other. Because even if the category is the same, the way that it affects the person is going to be different. So getting to kind of see how people live their lives, I think, shows like, hey, you know, we're comfortable talking about this. Mm. Come talk to us about it. We're no different. We're just sometimes have a little problems here and there. But ultimately, yeah, I think it encourages really good conversation, which is like always something that I advocate for. Yeah. Let's let's talk about the application process, because that's typically where students with dis- disabilities, whether physical, uh, mental health struggles, whatever, they, they start to have a lot of conflicting information, conflicting advice about what they should do with applications. I'm sure you're no different. What did that process start like for you, knowing that you have this personal statement, you have secondary essays where it's like, hey, what tell us about you or um, what 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 diversity can you bring to our class? And you're like, well, I have a disability and I can bring some disability awareness and hopefully squash some ableism in the world. Like it's, it's, it's scary to have potentially some open conversations where again, as you were mentioning, letting people see who you are out in the world, how you navigate the world, how basically you can do everything that you do potentially with some accommodations the application process is I'm going to put everything on paper. They're only going to have that context and they can judge me from it. What was that like? Yeah, I think, oh my God, I, it's bad, but I genuinely started out with applying with the disability to medical school, read it. I genuinely, I had no idea what to do. Hmm. I went on student doctor network. I was like, I, I actually have no idea where to start. And I come from a family where no one is a doctor. So I really just have no, I have no idea what the process was like. Nobody knew. And I was, I was looking at all these things and some places are like, yeah, they, they'll love you. Just be yourself, do what you want. And you know, they'll view you how they view you. Other places are like, no, they're going to think that you're less capable. Yeah. It's a disadvantage. I go, I go to my advisor and I'm like, like, how do I write this? She's like, I don't know. Just be <laughs> careful. Like, yeah. don't make it seem like you can't do stuff, but like, you should probably talk about it. I'm like, yeah, that's really not helpful because how do I write an essay, you know, that I'm disabled, but I'm not disabled basically is yeah. what she was telling me. Like you have a disability, but you can still like, don't make them think that you can't do it, anything. <laughs> I was like, how do I Go about like, doing that. Don't, really don't talk about not having legs, but make it seem like you have legs. I'm like, well, that's not how this works. Yeah. <laughs> not that, not was, that you're an amputee. That was a, a bad, a bad analogy. But no, anyway. <laughs> no, I, I get it. That's, I was just sitting there like, what do I, how do I, and it was like, and one advisor was like, why don't you just not write about your disability? You know, yeah. just don't talk about it. I'm like, okay, what, solid. How, how does that make you feel? Like being told, like completely avoid who you are. I know. And it's hard because then I was like, all right, fine. You know what? She knows best. 
let me do that. Okay. I sit down, it's why medicine? And yeah. I'm like, okay, why medicine? Why did I want to be a doctor? Let's think. Literally, I had no <laughs> other reason. Why do I want to be a doctor? Well, I was exposed to hospitals. Why were you exposed to hospitals? Well, Can't talk you know, about that. <laughs> because I'm just <laughs> redacted. Yeah. You know, everything back to that. Like, what makes you empathetic? Well, let me, you know, redacted. Like, you know, all these like the core competencies they tell you to follow and focus on in your application. Like I'm looking at these and I'm like, dang, every single one relates back to an experience that I had at the hospital related to my disability. So it's like, what do I talk about? How do I do this? Yeah. And ultimately it just came down to, I, I think I had to, it sucks. I did have to accept defeat in the sense of like, you know what? I let me just try. I don't see myself doing another career other than medicine because that's kind of what I had worked for. Like I want to work with patients. I kind of, I know what the other side feels like. I feel like that makes me have a new perspective that, uh, that is, you know, valuable in the field and puts me kind of in that position of like more effective communication, like knowing, you know, how a patient would feel. Um, And I want and especially with pediatric patients, that was something that I had worked for, worked on with and people that I'd worked with for so long. I was like, I just, I can't imagine myself doing anything else. And this is ultimately why I want to be a doctor. Any other reason that I come up with is going to look disgenuine. It's not going to be a convincing argument at all because it doesn't make sense with my narrative. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. Um, hopefully, you know, people see it the right way. If they don't, they don't, but I have to tell my story and I have to tell why I did it. And, and I hope that, you know, other people don't get discouraged by what's out there of like, you have to tiptoe around it. You shouldn't talk about it. You'll make yourself feel, seem less capable because I think honestly, it, it, it almost works in the opposite way. And I think the schools that want you will want you for that added perspective and ultimately those schools will also be the schools that are accommodating for you and make your experience at medical school easier because now going into medical school like I got in yay but now I have to like actually be a student there and I (laughs) need accommodations like (laughs) (laughs) you don't have (laughs) to they're just gonna give you a diploma (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know like I can't stand four hours in anatomy lab. I, I yeah. need, I need accommodations for that. I, I need, you know, like clinicals, like what if I'm, what if it's icy outside? I can't walk outside and ice. I'll fall, mm-hmm. break some stuff, you know? So I can't, what if I have to miss clinical? So ultimately I think if you tell your story, you'll attract the schools that will also make your medical, medical school experience easier. I love it. I love At least it. That's I, what I hope. I, I I've had, there, I've had that conversation with so many students about there, there are two options here. You can avoid talking about whatever it is that you think you need to avoid talking about it. And then you end up at a school that will not accommodate you. You, you, you hit it from them and you, you find out that they are not accepting. Uh, and, and obviously schools need to have some amount of uh, ADA compliance and all of that fun stuff. People are people, humans are humans, they have their biases, they have their issues. I, I had a student who had to leave med school um, because the school that he was at would not really give him the accommodations that he required, the accommodations that that he should have received. And he fought it and he fought it and he fought it. And he's like, I'm done fighting, I'm quitting. And he left medicine, he left medical school um, and and that that's a bummer. The, the other option is what you did, 
you're completely open as, as much as you need to be, right? And and I think we yeah. talked about it a little bit before we hit record, right? Your your whole application doesn't have to be, oh, look at my disability. Oh, did I tell you about my disability? Exactly. Oh, oh, by the way. Um, but But the schools that understand that you are just as capable of every as everyone else you're capable of getting through medical school and and meeting all the the competencies that they expect you to meet that you're going to do that they already are aware of you it's it's like almost like calling ahead like you're you're the the um ambulance and you're calling ahead to to the emergency room like we have a trauma patient coming right they're aware of you so they know hey we have this student coming we're going to have to figure out some potential accommodations. And and my guess is if you haven't had those conversations yet, if you haven't like narrowed down your school list to, to that one school, you're going to have some probably very in-depth conversations about what those accommodations look like for you. So uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's those two options, right? You can, you can not talk about it and potentially find out that you're not going to be supported and that's going to be a miserable four years, or you can talk about it potentially find out that you're getting rejected from some schools that you thought you would be a great fit at because there's some bias and some, some negativity there. But then you know that schools that are interviewing you that do accept you, accept you, right? And, and that's awesome. So exactly. talk about the, that process of figuring out beforehand, we, we, again, before we hit record, you were talking about technical standards. I would say 99% of pre-med students have no idea what that means. How did you figure out what technical standards were? Yeah, again, this was from my Reddit student doctor network. Those dive, unfortunately. But, it, you know, it, it, it was kind of helpful. There are these things called technical standards that all, actually not all, which is something I also discovered. I assumed all medical schools had this. But not every medical school has this, or they have very vague very wide technical standards which is was nice to find but um there are these lists of standards essentially that every student has to meet when they apply or they assume every applicant has met upon submitting their application in fact it's one of the many check boxes you check in i think amcas is i i've read and met and understood all the technical standards Mm. um they're just a list of physical and um, emotional and mental health capacities that you have to meet in order to be a successful applicant, and then eventually a successful admitted student at that school. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of schools can be very specific in their technical standards, um, telling you, okay, you have to be emotionally, physically, and uh, yeah, mentally uh, capable of handling X, Y, Z, but you also need to be physically capable, like, you know, we expect you to physically be able to do this, like do CPR, um, handle a trauma rotation, um, ha- like be able to handle any sort of physical loads like carry heavy heavier weight loads you know if you ever run into that scenario so you know I'm reading these technical standards and I and that's that did help me narrow down my list I was like okay well I already know I can't do this so I don't think I'm gonna apply here I think you know which is fine I I, I get it some schools have those have those restrictions and that's okay did did you ever reach out to the schools to say hey like how firm are these rules here yeah, there were definitely like a couple of schools where I was like, dang, I really like this school. I'm really interested in it. Why don't I just email them and get these these standards clarified? Yeah. Um, maybe they're just being general. Maybe they've copy pasted them from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think there is that, you know, that thing of like, it, someone who is able 
if they're giving you guidance on applying to any sort of school, whether it's undergrad or graduate school, it's always, well, every school is going to be ADA accessible. So yeah, like, don't worry sure. about it. Just it's, you know, and False. I'm like, fake okay. news. I'm like, yes, but being ADA accessible and actually accommodating for people is two very different things, Yeah, which I've learned the hard way. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, there was a brand new library built in New York City. Brand new library. It has an elevator. Guess what? It doesn't go to every floor. Like the elevator yeah. only stops at like the, the bottom floor and the top floor. And there's like a floor in the middle that it just skips. I'm like, so that floor is not accessible? Like, hello, people. What? <laughs> like, <laughs> the, again, ableism is, is strong in this world. It's there. I mean, even at my school, like there will be entrances that are, I'm like walking 30 feet in a basement, not even 30. I'm walking some like, I feel like I'm only a mile or something to get to an elevator that I've went through some background entrance in a basement with rats, like <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> so it's like, ultimately, yeah, I think that's the problem is you can think that a school is accessible, but ultimately they yeah. might not accommodate for your exact needs. A lot of people have buckets of accommodations that yeah. they give. They're like, yeah, don't worry. We give extra time on yeah. exams. And yeah, I'm like, that. that's <laughs> not what everybody needs. Not everybody needs extra time on an exam. Yeah. So yeah, I think that was my biggest thing is like that helped me narrow down my list. Um, yeah. And I think when you go through that process, there were those lows of like, oh my God, what schools can I actually apply to? And you know, everyone tells you cast a wide net, apply to like 50 schools, maybe you'll get one. And I'm sitting here sitting, staring at like my 16 school list. And I'm like, gosh, dang, I'm not even going to get into one of these. Like, I don't even know, like everyone's applying to like 40 schools around me and I don't have that list. Yeah. And they're worried about getting into one. They've got a one in 40 chance. Like I've got like a one in 16 chance right now. <laughs> what am I supposed to do about that? Yeah. You know, it's like you have those woes. And I think that's kind of something, especially going into the process you have to be prepared for mm. is like, you are going to be hit with disappointment, not only disappointment of rejection, which is like a whole nother yeah. ball game, but the disappointment of rejection before even getting to try, yeah. I think is what, hurts them hurts more than anything yeah is like maybe it's a school that you like i don't know dreamed about going since freshman year and now you're seeing a junior applying or senior whatever and all of a sudden you're like oh no i can't apply here they're not going to accommodate for me do do you still at this point again living with your disability for for as long as you have do, do you still have disappointment of people or do you just you just realize at this point that there are just some boneheads out there I think it's really hard to not be disappointed in people. Like, I think I, I, yes, I, I think as I've gotten older, I've had less disappointments yeah. in the sense of like, you know what? Eh, it happens. I yeah. get it. Whatever. Especially but in a healthcare setting. Like you guys are training physicians that take care of people. Yeah. That's where it hurts. I think a lot. I, you know, when it, it was a difference of like when someone random on the street or like a relative or a family friend be like, I don't think you should do medicine. I think it's going to be too hard. I was like, what do you know? Whatever. <laughs> yep. Then you have like um, someone that's a medical resident or someone that's like, I don't know, a medical student or like even like a physician assistant or someone telling you, hey, I don't think this is the best idea for you. Maybe try something else. That is where like I would I still got disappointed yeah. of like I have people that are in this field telling me 
that they don't think I'm capable of doing this. So am I going down the wrong path here? Am I doing the wrong thing? And I faced a couple of early rejections that from schools and I was like, oh no, like I started with such a small list. I've already been rejected. Now I have an even smaller list. Mm -hmm. Like what, what the heck am I going to do? I don't have a backup plan. I don't, in the sense of like, I don't have one in, yeah. in my heart that I know that I would like doing. That's good. So I don't, I was like, I don't like yeah, <laughs> I think it's just like, <laughs> it was like the, the discipline, like those types of disappointments. Yeah. I think that still hurt when yeah. they're in that field and they're, you're getting it from someone that is in the field and has experience that is telling you, maybe you're not right for this. Yeah. I think that's, that's the hard part. How many interviews did you end up getting? I ended up getting 11 interviews. Holy moly, 11 interviews. <laughs> Were there any boneheaded interviewers of like asking inappropriate questions? There was one. There yeah. was one where it was like, that's where I, that's the only reason I had the EMT example in my head. Mm -hmm. They, I guess they had look, looked up my school, figured out kind of like, you know, the opportunities available at my school, mm -hmm. compared it to the application that I had submitted. And they said, why didn't you do this opportunity? Like, why didn't you become an EMT? And I was like, oh, no. Yeah. And do you not know why I didn't become an ENT? Is it not clear on the application? Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, I couldn't, you know, because so-and-so and so. And they're like, oh, so then how do you think you're going to keep up at our medical school? And I was like, oh, gosh, dang. How the heck do I answer this question? Yeah. I don't know if they meant it seriously or if they were genuinely trying to, like, get an answer out of me or if they were purposely trying to, like, get me rattled to see if I could make it through that particular difficult question because i do think they try to trick you sometimes and sometimes. try to see how you can think quickly yeah. so then i was like oh my gosh i don't know how to answer this question i'm freaking out internally yeah. I'm like uh, how do i make it seem like again i'm still capable when you just proved that i'm not capable because i didn't do this yeah so. did, did you get into that school no <laughs> <laughs> interesting okay interesting um how was it overall for the most part where did, did you feel again, there's always a spectrum, right? There, there are going to be people who are inappropriate and, and stare and ask inappropriate questions. And there are going to be people who are, are inappropriate on the other side where they, they want to completely avoid talking about those things. Um, and so you, you realize that they're like trying to ask questions, but don't want to ask that question. Cause it, it may be, they may think it's inappropriate, and then there are the ones that are just like, you're a normal person. You happen to have this thing. Let's talk about it. And let's, let's talk about all of the other things about who you are, because you are more than just this thing. What, what was it yeah. um, going through that process, 11 interviews, or you got 11 interview invites, however many you went on. What, at the end of the day, right, on, on the other side, do you think it went better, worse, or about as you expected? Yeah, I mean... That was like one obviously out of pocket experience, but I think in general, I thought it went well again. And I think the benefit was just me being the as transparent as I possibly could be through my primary uh, personal statement as well as my secondary essays. I, I was very open about exactly what my condition was, exactly what that kind of how that limited me physically, and the experiences I went through in association with the disability. I think I was pretty open on wherever they allowed me to be open, I was like, whatever, you know what, I'm just gonna put all my marbles out there. Yeah. And I think that honestly is what kind of helped me be successful because ultimately I think the schools that 
that wanted me and, and appreciated my experience and and were curious about kind of how I took both my experience as a child and then the opportunities available to me at college and kind of crafted my own journey into medical school. And I think ultimately that is what resulted in the, the success rate that I had was just being transparent and just being like, take me as you, as you will. Again, yeah. easier said than done, but I do think most interviewers, especially because a lot of them are physicians, were very receptive and kind mm-hmm. and just willing to, to just have a conversation with me. You know, it, it would always turn into just, we would always do the about, like, tell me about yourself. Everyone needs with that question. And yeah. then it turned into just a conversation of like, okay, like what happened from there? Okay. Oh my yeah. God. What happened then? Like, yeah. what did you do next? And like, as we were talking about earlier, you know, my, yes, my application did focus a lot on my disability and a lot of my experiences, but <clears throat> what I did in college wasn't fully based on my disability. I kind of like used that as my base and picked uh, experiences because of that. And then the experiences that I had in college then no longer became rooted to my disability. So I was able to talk about those experiences as a standalone from my disability so that my application didn't just become like a blaring disability red signal, you know, like it was like, okay, I'm disabled. I was a pediatric patient and I had a rare genetic disease. So where, well, what can I do with that? It was like, okay, I can work with pediatric patients. And then that came with its own route of things. I can do research in bones and that came with its own like problem solving things that I could talk about. Um, I can advocate for peers at my school that came with its own set of challenges. And so then I was able to talk about each of those experiences disconnected from my disability. And that allowed me to have the motivation of why I wanted to become a doctor, but then also I could branch off and talk about other characteristics I developed that were not necessarily rooted in my experience with a disability as a child. Yeah. What was it like getting that first acceptance? Um, it was honestly really overwhelming. I think I remember I was um, studying for an exam with my friends and um, I was, you know, I always have my email tab open <laughs> on the side because I'm neurotic that way. And, you know, every time I see the number change, I always click on it. So I clicked on it and it, there was, and I was like, and it doesn't say like, congratulations or anything. It just says admissions decision. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, great another one and I opened it and I immediately gasped I turned my computer around to like with my two friends that were sitting in front of me and I was like and then you get a call from from the from them from most schools they'll call you so then that was like a whole nother thing yeah and um two of my closest friends were actually we were all going through the cycle together so we do we had a little tradition every time like when we all got into our first medical school we made a card with the with a school mascot of the school that the person got into and then we would go eat a brownie nice. <laughs> at this one place we would just always that was our little tradition so that was it was a good day that was awesome that's that's super fun i i love little traditions celebrating all of the the little milestones along the way is is huge um yeah. I, I mentioned it earlier right getting into more in-depth conversations about accommodations have those started yet with with any of the schools or the school that you're you've picked ultimately yeah, I think um, a big part of like picking my school is trying to figure out, you know, what uh, where the best accommodations are. I think luckily, again, the schools that I've gotten into have been very accommodating, are very kind. 
Um, so now it kind of just comes down to like whether like when it's a little icy, like that's not really the best for me. I can't really handle like snow and ice that well. And so I think it would be hard to do four years somewhere there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of just going into like, okay, uh, what, how many times can I miss things if I absolutely need to? What uh, can I just make sure that, you know, I'm able to use a wheelchair if I need to? Um, can I have a chair available, accessible to me in these certain places? Um, and so I've just been having a lot of meetings with their disability offices, but luckily every school has had a very receptive and very kind uh, disability accommodations office. For the student listening to this who uh, is is living life with th- their disability and wants to be a physician and is getting feedback from peers, mentors, random physicians, r- random strangers on the street of like, you can't be a doctor. What do you what do you say to them to keep them motivated? Keep going. I think ultimately, if you want to be a physician, and most likely it'll be because of the experiences that you've had growing up with a disability, whether that's invisible, physical, however that manifests itself, that's going to come through as passion. And ultimately, it's going to make you a more empathetic, kinder physician. Um, Yes, there will be struggles. Yes, it's not going to be easy. And there is that added challenge of being comfortable with yourself, being comfortable with your disability, being comfortable, being transparent. But ultimately, that kind of internal battle that you have to go through every day about whether I should talk about this, whether I should not, is going to be worth it because you're, it's going to pay off. Even if people don't tell you that it's going to pay off, even if they make it seem like it's not going to, it will because ultimately, and you know yourself best, you know your limitations. Don't let other people tell you what your limitations are. They know nothing about your body and how your body is reacting to situations. So ultimately, you know your limitations, you know how to, how to battle them and you can best advocate for yourself and just you just have to be comfortable with that. And that's going to be harder than the people putting the limitations on you, but it will be worth it in the end. All right. There you have it again, a great conversation with Crudy talking about her discussion, her kind of going back and forth. Do, do I talk about this? Do I not talk about this? How transparent do I be? Will it be held against me? Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the wrong thing? There's just so much fear in this process. And ultimately she found triumph in her transparency. So hopefully this will give you some motivation, some encouragement for you to be transparent, potentially about whatever you're dealing with, about whatever you want the medical schools to know about. Because ultimately I think the more transparent you are, again, knowing that there may be some bias out there, but the more transparent you are, the more hopefully you end up at a school that you know will support you because they accepted you from the very beginning. Don't forget to check out our partners over at blueprintmcat.com. Sign up for that free, amazing account. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.